So you have probably noticed um, that in life, almost everything has a cost, right? There's always a cost for something. Now, I, our minds could quickly go to the cost of, a, you know, financially. So many of us thinking about vacation, what can we afford? What, what will it cost? Uh, but cost isn't just financial. Cost is also time. Cost is resources. We weigh cost when we think of things such as relationships. What will this do with our relationships? We think in terms of cost when we think about our social status. What will this do to our standing in the community or among our, the people we know? What's the cost? There's a whole bunch of life that we live always measuring out the cost. We even deal with costs we have not yet faced. Because sometimes costs come our way that have nothing to do with the choice we've made. They just happen. Accidents, unforeseen events. And so what do we do? We start measuring out the cost by taking on things like insurance so that we don't have to pay the big cost. Or we plan ahead so that maybe we can avoid future costs of time. So much of what we live in life pertains to costs. Even those decisions we're not able to make often have to do with costs. A decision to go one way or go another and to be paralyzed, not sure which one to go, often has to do with weighing out the costs that we've determined that we're losing out one way or the other, or both are great options, and so we find ourselves paralyzed even by the whole concept of cost. Now, why, why go through all that? Why, why talk about cost? Because in the end, the calling to follow Jesus has a cost. We often talk about grace being a free gift and, and that God's love through Jesus Christ is free, that we can't do anything to, to receive that that that's a free gift. And yet on the other side, there's a cost. You catch the complication? It's free, and yet there's a cost. And so often we're talking about the free side, and often we want to avoid the cost side. But that's exactly what keeps so many from making a decision to follow Jesus. They know that in life there is always a cost. They know the economic principle, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Tanstoffel. I remember having that drilled into my head. 
Tanstafel. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. So grace is free, and yet there's a cost. And the cost, before we get too wrapped up and say, well, then it isn't free, the cost is more like this. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, explains that we are always a slave or a servant, if it helps you, to something. Always a slave or a servant to something. We're either a slave or ser servant to sin, or we're a slave or servant to Jesus Christ. But the idea that we'll be our own Lord and that we'll be free from everything, that's not true. Paul explains that we will always be bound to something or someone. And so today, we're going to talk about the cost. And we're going to do it through the lens of Matthew's gospel. We're going to do it as the third of our final three-week series on looking at things from Matthew's corner, from Matthew's perspective, that first gospel writer. And the first week, we, we looked at things uh, from his perspective and, and uh, looked at um, the calling that Jesus was under, that we are under. Last week, we worked at the work that Jesus had and the work that he handed on to us. And this week, we're looking at the cost that Jesus tells his disciples will be and how fascinating it is to look at that cost through the eyes of Matthew, previously a tax collector, always analyzing cost. How fascinating it must have been when he could see these three components that we're going to hear about come together. So let's pray that God would open his word to us, that we might be able to stomach the cost and take in who we are to be. Let's pray. Lord, may you guide us this morning. For we love to hear of your love and your goodness and your grace. But we know you also ask something of us. So we pray that you would guide us through your word this morning. That the spirit would work within our hearts not only to hear but to, to really wrestle with and take in what you have to teach us. That we might leave here more mature, more ready to face the world around us, better equipped to understand all that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is recorded as saying this in the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. 
For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have cannot come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let's just start off by acknowledging that Jesus sometimes says some difficult things. We're okay when he says those difficult things to someone else in the narrative. It's a little more difficult when he says those things to us. He has three different lessons to teach us. Three different lessons that all have to do with cost. In many ways, if you sat down and read this passage later today, if you went home and said, well, wait a minute, I don't understand how they all go together, there's a flow to the argument that he is making, and it comes in three different lessons. The first lesson is a lesson of expectations. A lesson of expectations, and oh, this is an important lesson for those of us who follow Christ in North America. Because we've really locked into the blessings and cursings that if we follow God, everything will go right for us and that all of life will be good. And if we don't follow, it'll be all bad. It's often known as the prosperity gospel. And there are truths within it, but there's a reality in which the North American cultures often approach Jesus from a sense of commodity. We'll take Jesus on our plate and our life will be better. But Jesus has a cost to explain to us, and it's a cost concerning expectations. We all work with expectations. I can still remember my mother-in-law. 
we were at a McDonald's. We were in between running from stores to store and we'd gone to McDonald's and this was simply a quick stop, not to fill our bellies with food, but to get ice cream. It's a Dutch heritage. It was a cheap way to go. So there we are to get ice cream and the place is packed with people and there are many, it's not now, like nowadays where there's only one space. There were many different attendants and my mother-in-law somehow got up there first and she came back with a cone that was two to three t- sizes taller than the cone itself. I mean, it was just towering. And she walks up to us and she says, go to the one with wearing the stripes. The expectation was everywhere else you'll get a typical cone, but if you went to the one wearing the stripes, you were going to have a great cone. We live life with expectations, and Jesus wants us to be clear about the expectations that are involved in following him. And he uses this to describe to the disciples two terms that they would have understood well in their day, that idea of a teacher or a rabbi, and the idea of a master with servants. A teacher or rabbi, the student would never expect to be greater than the teacher, the rabbi. Nor would a servant who may rise very high in the household ever expect to be greater than the master. So Jesus is laying out the expectation that, look, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to follow Jesus, don't expect to arrive at a greater place. It's an understanding they fully could get. They could grasp that a a student is never greater than a teacher and that a a uh, servant or a slave is never greater than the master. They could grasp that immediately. But what he was referencing was the ill treatment he was receiving. That the Pharisees and others were coming on harder and stronger and that there was an aggressive movement against him. Even as he was healing and teaching people, there was an aggressive movement, a counter-movement against him. And his, his cost that he's laying out is that, hey, and the expectations of life and following Jesus don't come or succumb to the idea that somehow we can avoid the cost that he bore. That negativity towards Christ became so strong that he eventually ended up on the cross. And Jesus is saying, hey, the cost of following me is going to be high. Don't think that you can avoid it. Now, let's be honest. There are many of us who who hope that we could, that we could follow Jesus and and be a faithful follower of of him and somehow navigate enough of life that we never have to experience the cost. But Jesus is saying that's just not the way it works. There's a cost in following him. 
The second lesson. The second lesson pertains to fear. Fear. Fear can be a really healthy tool. Fear can be very beneficial. Fear can teach us where not to go and what not to do. We have that adage of, um, you know, some people have to touch the stove to realize that they could be burned. But that we often teach our children, don't touch the stove, it's hot, it will burn you. We use fear as a way of saving them from a negative experience. Fear can be a very healthy teacher. There are things we still do even now in our life, the way we walk, the way we approach things, all has to do with previous exposures to fear or things we've seen happen to others that we don't want to go through. Fear can be very healthy. On the other side, there are those moments in life where we could probably use a dose of fear where we're not careful. You think about James Dobson's description of young boys. I love this quote. I say it as many times as I can repeat it. He, said, he says that young boys are all afterburner and no rudder. All afterburner and no rudder. In other words, they, they leap before they think, right? That, that sense of not having a healthy enough sense of fear that gives that moment of caution. Jesus, in his second lesson of cost, has to, talk, has to talk about fear, and in particular, he's talking about our fear of how others will see us. Do not fear those who will kill the body. That sense of worry about what will happen to us if people know that we're following Jesus. What will become of us? It's not just the idea that being killed. I mean, we live in North America. It's not as likely. But we know that our social standing could be affected. We know the way people treat us or what they think about us, there's a cost in that. They might have thought before that we're pretty rational, pretty straight shooting, but then they find out that, oh, you believe in Jesus? And suddenly we can see their high thoughts of us starting to go down a few notches. There's a cost. And Jesus is saying, don't fear that cost. And what he's, off, what he's really trying to say is, you need to get your fear in the right perspective. Fearing what others think of us, fearing what others will do to us, fearing what other resources will be denied. And think about the teenager in high school navigating all the difficulties of social life and trying to build a, a personality and, and be liked by people. And suddenly to know that to be a follower of Jesus could be a bummer and could get niche into all that. And, 
There's a fear there. But Jesus is saying, but there's a far greater fear. There's a far greater cost. You see, there's those who can take away a lot from you, could even take your life, but the one to truly be afraid of is the one who can take everything. Life, soul, body, life eternal. In other words, God. The cost of following Jesus is about having a healthy balance of what is truly most powerful. Or more importantly, who is truly most powerful. The psalm we started with, that the Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom shall I be afraid or of whom shall I fear? If the Lord is our light, the one who guides us and gives light to our path, if the Lord is the one who saves us, then what else is there to get in our way? How much else does the rest really matter? And again, back to the earlier one, there's a part in which we'd like to avoid it all, fly under the radar, and maybe we don't have to face that fear. But the reason that Jesus lifts up this fear cost is because he's saying that we are the ones burdened, we are the ones authorized, we are the ones who've been given the responsibility of sharing the message of the good news of the grace of God. You see, you can't fly under the radar when Jesus says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. In other words, Jesus recognizes, hey, I'm working with you, small band. I'm sharing the good news with you, and I'm teaching you, but you now are going to have to go out and share it with others. That's not something to be hidden. You can't have it both ways. You can't carry the message and be responsible for the message of God and still fly under the radar. The truth is, often though in the church, we try to do that. We're all wrestling with that struggle. We come week after week, we worship God, we pray, we do all those things, but we're also the ones given the responsibility. We are the ambassadors of the message of Jesus Christ. It doesn't just simply go on. The Holy Spirit works through us from one generation to the next. And because of that, we are going to come up against the cost of losing social status, of being threatened, of feeling loss. Now, believe me, I've tried to work on this message many different ways to see how can I build an upside? How can I make this more positive? Because who wants to come to church on Sunday and hear a real downer that, hey, by the way, it's going to cost you a lot. But I found I didn't have to. Because Jesus does the positive. In the midst of laying this heavy cost on his disciples and now on us, He takes a side moment. It's almost like you could see him teaching and look over to the side and see two sparrows over there, you know, hanging out near a tree. And look at the sparrows. 
And he says, you, you know, the, the sparrows, you could, the, if you take an offering to the temple, he, he's, he's jumping ahead a number of steps here that, that are, isn't immediately in our mind, but they would have grasped immediately that if you were extremely poor and you had to go to the temple with a sacrifice, you could at very least offer some birds, a very cheap cost. And so he says, look at the sparrows. You know, they, they cost a penny. Because again, they're looking at them as a certain value and taking them as a sacrifice. And he's saying, look at how cheap they are. And yet, they do not fall to the ground without the will of our Father in heaven. And then he transitions. He says, if they're of that value, how much more you? He says, the hair on your head, every one of them is numbered. Now, I know some of you are thinking, every hair is known. The hyperbole, the overstatement is to say that God knows us so much and loves us so greatly that in the face of all this fear of what we'll lose, God's got us. Nothing can happen to us without the will of God. We might go through difficult and hard times, but he has us. As we're weighing out the cost, as we're dealing with the cost of following Jesus, Jesus is reminding us, but our, my God has you. Our Father has you. And he needs to do that because he's about to give us the hardest cost of all. If the first cost is expectation... And the second cost is fear. The third cost has got to be the hardest. The cost of relationships. The cost of relationships. The honest, straightforward approach to reality, knowing that if we follow Jesus, this will put tension on our closest relationships. It'll put tension in our families. It'll put tension among our coworkers. It'll put tension among our deep and close friends. Jesus puts it this way. Hey, look, I, I didn't come to bring peace. I brought a sword. And, and, and our minds are just blown because we know him as the prince of peace and love. And, and suddenly he's, he's speaking of not being of peace and, and being of what violence well, let's not misread this. He's trying to point out the difference and the cost of following him. That if we are to follow Jesus, he becomes first and foremost. He's first. In other words, if he's truly going to be Lord, he must be Lord. He finds a way to say this. He borrows from one of the minor prophets, from Micah. Micah is that prophet that we might only know this way. We, we've heard the phrase, and it comes from Micah. It says, but what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
it's a reference. Micah is talking about the sacrifices that people want to know. What, what should I sacrifice? What should I be doing? You know, how much should I do? And Micah says through, for God, the Lord requires of you justice, mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That's what we usually know of Micah. But Micah had another passage that Jesus borrows from. A passage in which he talks about, and he borrows it. He says this, he says, For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That comes directly from Micah. And it comes at a time in which Micah is writing to Israel and saying, Look, you've got to stop depending on others. You see, Israel... Israel played a little game. Israel would use the big empires to the south and to the north to play off against one another. If Egypt was giving them trouble, they'd call on Assyria. If Assyria was giving them trouble, they'd call on Egypt. And these two nation states would get in battles with each other and all to save little Israel. Or at least that's the way Israel played it off. And God, through the prophet Micah, says, your dependence is stopped. There is coming a day when you can no longer depend on the big boys. Matter of fact, you're not going to be able to depend on anyone. You're not going to be able to depend on a father. You're not going to be able to depend on a son. You're not going to be able to depend on a mother or a daughter or a mother-in-law or a daughter-in-law. It's a statement that God is speaking through the prophet of Micah saying that the dependence that they have is going to be done. There is no one to whom they'll be able to turn, leaving only one to whom they may turn, namely God. And so when Jesus gets to this third and final cost of our deep and abiding relationships that we have, he speaks of the cost of following him to say, look, in the end, he is saying he is first and foremost. And he uses the prophet Micah to remind them that there's going to be a day, always going to be a day, when everyone else will disappoint us when everyone else will fall short and won't be enough. There are people sitting here even now who know what it is to have a father or a mother who just doesn't come through. Jesus is pointing to the deepest heart of things and saying that he is first and foremost. To follow Jesus to let him be our Lord and Savior is for him to have that place of primacy in our hearts. And so to wrap up these three costs, he says simply a summation statement that we have often learned and known. And it's simply this. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, if we are busy trying to build up our life, it will amount to nothing. But if we set our lives upon Jesus, we will truly find life.
The cost is all about our learning to let go and trust fully and completely in Him. It's a fitting way to finish out what the call is, what the work is, and now what the cost of following Jesus is. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, may you guide us in our following you to be able to trust you through all the costs. For we know the grace that we have received through you is free. It is the gift of God. But we know now that following you demands our all. Help us through your spirit to do so, to give everything we have to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.